0: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the strange road i'm mikey this hey. is Bub. Bub, how are we doing today excellent yourself awesome. you excited yes i'm excited this is good this is a long time coming guys we have I'm trying to hold our buddy jeffrey wilson in studio that's right uh jeffrey wilson from friends of the serpent mound is is here with us welcome welcome um this thank is, you yeah absolutely it's been a long time coming, Jeff. We've been wanting to get you in here for a while. Uh, we met, I met Jeff. I kind of just jumped up and introduced myself to you and I think it was like 2016 or 15 at one of Tom and Terry's uh, Serpent Mound Star Knowledge events. Can, you, can then, you,
1: not to gloss over that, can you tell it? Because you just told me this story the other day Yeah. of meeting Jeff, and it was really cool.
0: <laughs> he probably doesn't remember it.
1: Because I think it was... I think it was one of those moments that, like, in the moment, Mike was like, I probably shouldn't do this. And then he was like, you know what? No, I'm yeah. going to do this. And I think just I didn't want to
0: seem like a, you know, a creeper kind of Is just like, nope, I need to introduce at least. Hi, I'm here. I'm interested in, in, yeah. in these kind of things. You know, video production guy from Columbus, I think, is how I introduced myself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Roa was with me, uh, Carlos, the, yeah. our buddy that has done the mural that you see in the studio. logo he's kind of our artist and um, we were at saw one of your presentations and then I introduced myself to Ross uh, Hamilton and Jeff Um, but uh, you know Jeffrey currently serves as uh, president of the Friends of the Serpent Mound which is a 501c3 organization Um, and they do basically advocating for Serpent Mound, and they do a lot of work uh, around Ohio with uh, other earthworks and have uh, contributed to preservation of many sites in Ohio, and they are doing have. great, great things. Um, and uh, Jeff's been a guest on various national uh, TV broadcasts um, and as well as local radio programs, national ro- uh, programs like Coast to Coast AM with George yep. Dory, uh and most recently, Uh, you were on Graham Hancock's Ancient Apocalypse, which we'll get into some of that. There's a lot of controversy happening around uh, that show and Graham, um, and there's just some things that I think uh, there's a lot of perspectives and and things happening online right now, which is fascinating for us to just kind of get behind the scenes and see what's really going on, and that's really what we're trying to do is is understand the situation that's that's kind of unfolding on the internet um with uh and it's been you know um what over a month now since it's been out mm-hmm. and it hasn't really uh calmed down too much but <laughs> no. before we get into all that yeah. jeff i'm gonna give you the floor um first of all where can we find you uh your work and uh tell us a little bit about yourself how you got involved with this stuff sure. and friends of
2: the serpent mound well, uh, you can find the Friends of Serpent Mound at uh, friendsofserpentmound.org. Okay. Um, and I am, as you said, been, been, I serve as the president of the organization currently. Um, I've been the president for, for a while. I keep getting reelected. Um, and um, the Friends of Serpent Mound got started in 2004. Um, At the time, the Ohio Historical Society, as they were then known, now today they're known as the Ohio History Connection, they were going through a bit of a financial crisis. Uh, The state legislature in Ohio decided to cut their budget allocation by 50%. Okay. And then the subsequent budget cycle, they cut it another 50%. And I think over the course of three budget cycles, they got their budget cut by about 90% overall. Wow. And they're not a state agency. They're a private corporation. Uh, But they do a bunch of contract work for the state. Like, they maintain all the state records, um, you know, whatever state agencies, they they maintain all those records, and they get paid by the state to do that. Uh, they also, the state owns different parks and properties, and they get contracted out to hand, manage that kind of stuff. And um, so th- because of the financial crisis, they laid off something like 90% of their employees. Mm. Okay. Um, and Serpent Mound was down to two employees: uh, a site manager who was charged with managing seven parks, um, and a guy cut the grass.
0: Mm.
2: And that's it. That's it. Wow. Conditions at the park dramatically declined. I would imagine. <laughs> and
0: yeah. it's a big property. people in
2: Adams County took notice of that, and so the local travel and visitors bureau and the chamber of commerce set up a committee to try to figure out what could they do to help. Right. And that committee became the Friends of Serpent Mount. Oh, cool. People that were on that committee organized it and developed that organization to help them manage the park. Okay. So the volunteers in that organization, you know, staffed the museum and, you know, Spruced up the grounds, planted flowers, and, you know, gave tours. And um, at the time, the Ohio Historical Society was uh, selling access before and after hours to the park. And they needed people to supervise that. And so the Friends of Surpermount supervised. They would just, you know. It's so like private tours or it wasn't It events? wasn't tours. It was you could, like, essentially rent out the park for whatever your private thing was have a wedding out there oh yeah they had weddings and they did all kinds of stuff um I mean. and so we kind of were charged as volunteers just to sort of make sure chaperone make sure they're not doing anything crazy and all that yeah. kind of stuff so yeah. you know we did that uh for a while and um and that's really how the organization began okay and uh, over the time you know we got involved with various um Efforts to help preserve other uh, earth, ancient earthworks in the site. The first one that I worked on was uh, to help save Spruce Hill. Okay. Um, that is a hilltop earthwork built about 2,000 years ago that went up for auction. And so I got on. Went up and, for auction? Yep. It was privately owned and uh, went up for auction. And a group of a consortium of people got together to try to help preserve that. And now that is preserved as part of the Ark of the oh, cool. uh system. And uh, we managed to, you know, raise enough money to save that site. Um, in 2012, um, I was doing an aerial photo flight, taking pictures of various things. And I took a photograph of an earthwork called the junction group. Most people had assumed that it had been destroyed, but I had seen that from the airplane, you could tell the shape of the earthwork. It's a kind of a, a group of a whole bunch of geometric earthworks and circular enclosures and stuff. And um, I took literally the only photograph that had ever been taken of it, you know, That's that crazy. showed that it was still around, and it went up for auction. And so uh, the Friends of Serpent Mountain was the first group to start raising money to preserve it. And I think there was a consortium of about 40-some different groups that got involved to help preserve that site. And that is now also a part of the Ark of the Appalachians preserve system. Very cool. Um, Very cool. I got involved in trying to raise money to preserve uh, the Butler County Hilltop Earthwork uh, in Butler County, Ohio. Again, another hilltop earthwork enclosure had been in private hands. Uh, The person that owned it had been in their family for generations. He died. No heirs or, you know, the heirs wanted to sell it. And so I think we had about two weeks to raise enough money. Friends of Mound was the first one to start raising money to preserve that. Um, The consortium of groups that got together, which included, you know, things like the Archaeological Conservancy, um, you know, a whole bunch uh, failed miserably in the, in the effort to try to raise enough money. I think, you know, in only two weeks, I think we only raised about $150,000. Purchase price was close to $2 million. And there was a foundation, a local foundation, that stepped in uh, the Pyramid Hill Sculpture Group. Uh, that foundation that runs that park, which is about a mile and a half to the east of where this earthwork was located, they stepped in and provided the purchase price and so really? they own and, and they preserve it
1: that's great, great i was just man. gonna say so when these go up for auction like i could go bid on this yeah i could mm-hmm. buy this mound earthwork you could yeah
2: a lot of earthwork
0: sites are private yeah. i'm just
1: i'm just thinking of it from the aspect of again having read a lot about mounds being dug up like somebody buying it today to be like i'm gonna dig that thing up
2: yeah yeah it could happen and find out what goes could on and happen. Happen. people just, are a little yeah.
0: more conscious now you know right versus like the 1800s so, you know,
2: point. we've been involved in a lot of kinds of things like that, advocacy okay. for the preservation of different mounds and earthwork sites and um, you know, we've kind of branched out a little bit beyond just Serpent Mound itself, but uh, That's great. That's so cool. So, uh, you know, I as a volunteer there, you know, we did a whole series of, you know, various activities to try to help bring awareness to Serpent Mound, help people understand what it is. Um, and I've done, you know, almost 20 years worth of research now into try to understand Serpent Mound uh, from all kinds of various aspects. Right. My background uh, was in science. Um, I got my master's degree in general science from Eastern Michigan University. Okay. I used to volunteer uh, to run the observatory there, Scherzer Observatory. And I did a lot of observational astronomy. I did radio astronomy. Um, In my master's thesis was on a um, project that I got a NASA grant for. I literally mapped uh, data on the surface of the moon from the Lunar Prospector mission. Uh, So that... Work. I got a, had a background in remote sensing. I did a lot of graduate work in remote sensing, satellite stuff, and aerial photo interpretation, things like that. Wow! And um, so I applied both my astronomical skills and my remote sensing skills, and that allowed me to, you know, help understand Super Mound from a perspective that most of the archaeologists were not really looking at. And, you know, some of that material I guess we'll see today, and we can talk about some of that
1: so before you got into the friends of the serpent mound et etc cetera, etc cetera, and serpent mounds and going into decay after the uh, budget cuts yeah how did you end up near it to begin with that was just you're from michigan originally correct i am okay. yeah
2: um i moved down in the summer of 2004 um i had uh, met my wife and uh this is before we got married and okay. i took a job i had a job opportunity i took a job in cincinnati and uh, moved down to be closer to her And um, got involved with volunteering there.
1: And just naturally is like, wow, that developed over time.
2: It's a a longer story than that. I'm sure you know. But but we'll leave it at that for this
1: I guess what I was getting at is it just feels kind of meant to be your
2: skill set. Well, when I was in college, um, one particular uh, spring break – my, uh, my vice president of the Astronomy Club, I was the president of the Astronomy Club, he, and my vice president was from Loveland, Ohio. Okay. And this is we decided to, for spring break, I had read an article, I think, uh, in Astronomy Magazine, or maybe it was Sky and Telescope, about Cahokia and prehistoric astronomy here okay. in the United States. And so we decided to, uh, you know, for spring break, go to Cahokia. Nice. And Wow. We had an extra day. We drove down from Michigan, stayed at his parents' place in Loveland for a day or so. And he had something else that he needed to do. And he's like, you know, do whatever you want to do for the day. And he said to me, you know, there's supposed to be this place kind of out east of here. Uh, It's called Serpent Mound. It has something to do with astronomy, but I don't really know anything about it. (laughs) And I said, oh. Okay, so like this is long. Crazy. This is days before the internet, you know, yeah, right. right? No maps and stuff, so you had to get out the paper, paper, you know, right. transportation map and looked on the map and said, oh, "What's this? Miamisburg Mound, Enon Mound. Oh, there's Serpent Mound." So I mapped out this tour, and so on that day, I visited Miamisburg Mound, which is the largest mound in the state of Ohio, about seventy feet tall, and then. Went to the Enon Mound, which isn't too far away on the north side of Dayton. Yep. Then went to Fort Ancient. Okay. Then went to Serpent Mound. Then went to Fort Hill. Then went to Sipe Mound. Wow. Then Mound City. Wow. And then finished up at the Tarleton Cross Mound.
0: So at the end of that, your mind's just...
2: Yeah, because I'd never whoa. seen any, anything <laughs> like a, any of that. Um, and it's all
0: right. I mean, it's all... in all one day.
2: And I did that tour in one day. That's wild. And then we drove to Cahokia. Wow. And wow. then it was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Cahokia is
1: impressive, isn't it?
2: Yeah. It's uh, I see unbelievable. St.
1: Louis out from it. Yeah. On top of it. Yeah.
2: And, uh, you know, wild. we were kind of interested in it because of the Woodhenge there. Okay. And, um, you know, we could talk Did they about have it Woodhenge's leader. Yes. When you were
0: there back then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because Kyle and I were just there. Over I can
2: summer. tell you a funny story about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that woodhenge was discovered in the 1970s uh i think it was uh warren witchery was the archaeologist i think uh that that kind of was the first one to kind of write about it okay and at some point they decided that they were going to rebuild it uh, like recreate it from the original post holes of the of what they had found and so they uh got A telephone pole, I think, was the first one that they used was to erect a telephone pole in the original hole to recreate the beginning of it. Gotcha. And they had a group of volunteers that got together and they put that pole up, you know, packed it in or whatever. And within 10 minutes, it got hit by lightning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> and, might, be, might be a sign.
2: <laughs> and, well they it happened again. They they found that there was a post hole on Monks Mound on that first tier up of the big, you know, huge pyramid at Kokia. Yeah. yeah. And they decided to put a put a we put a pole there to reconstruct the original, you know, pole where they found the post hole, which is kind of like the center point of the whole city. It yeah. falls along those alignments and, uh, they put it up. It got hit by lightning so many times. They had to take it down. Cause it was, they were afraid it was going to kill some, you know, tourists. Jeez. Um, so, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's why What
0: year was that when you went on that big tour?
2: Uh, I think it was, um, 96 or 97. Okay. Um, and then I, so I, I actually took a second trip down um, and visited Serpent a second time around '98. So I'd been, I'd been there a couple of times. Yeah, but yeah. my interest was originally in the archaeoastronomy aspect of it. Yeah, okay. So, wow.
0: So yeah, you've been. And then, what year did you move down? Uh, 2004. 2004. So yep. you've been there for a while. You've been there. Uh, I mean, living next door to Serpent What is that like? <laughs> Because
2: yeah, your property is incredible. Yeah, it, it is amazing. I mean, I, uh, obviously, uh, we live inside the meteor crater. Yes. Uh, Serpent Mound is inside of a meteor crater, for those that aren't aware. Uh, it has a federal designation. Serpent Mound is, is designated as a national historic landmark, but the crater is designated as a natural uh, landmark. So there's a, it's called the Serpent Mound Crypto Explosive Area Natural National Landmark. And there is a marker for it. It's at Woodland Altars, if anybody wants to know, which is on the other side of the crater from where Serpent Mound is. The crater is about five miles in diameter. And uh, Woodland Altars is kind of on the northeast (coughs) side of the crater. And that's where that marker ended up. I have no idea. It was designated in 1980. Um, And uh, Serpent Mound is kind of on the southwest side of the crater. And uh, so I live in the crater, you know, our property borders Serpent Mountain. So.
0: I have to uh, say, a, I... A little inside scoop. Uh, we have a video coming out. Uh, we made a DVD with Tom Johnson. Oh, yeah. Tom and Terry from uh, House of Fake Ops. And we uh, Tom brought us on a tour. We filmed the yep. whole thing. Jeff actually has some imagery and some credits in, in the video. But that's coming out real soon. Uh, and uh, shout out to Tom and Terry. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that... It's it's uh Tom goes through the the um he's he's one of this, the one of the, the best entire, experts on the yes, crater. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I was about to say, blown I away lived by his knowledge life. about that impact crater. I never knew
1: there was an impact crater in <laughs> Ohio. And I <laughs> yeah. would I would say unless you live right. around there a fair majority of people have no idea. Yeah,
2: there's no signage right. um, like when you're driving into it or driving through it. Friends of Superman actually um engaged with the Ohio Department of Transportation and was beginning to develop that signage and then they sort of stopped but it's kind of been kicking around in the back of our minds that maybe we should try again and put up some signage so that yeah. when you descend into the crater you know like you're you're entering the Cerberus crypto explosive area you're leaving the right. crypt, you know that kind of thing cuz most people don't know it's hard to see it's so big that You can't really just go to one place to view it. Right. Um, And I mean, you can see it from an era. I think we have uh, a slide where I show, like, I did a LiDAR map of the crater, and we can show that later. Perfect. I've been to the
1: uh, crater impact out southwest, right? The one in Arizona. It's like a mile across. Right. It's
2: much smaller. So So, this is bigger.
1: Right, right. But that's what I'm saying. It's so funny to think, wow, you know, obvious it's here. Yeah, yeah, it's even bigger. It's like it's less obvious. It's a lot now. of yeah.
0: electromagnetic anomalies. There's like weather patterns that are right. that kind of are different inside the crater versus outside yeah, I, the crater, which is there've really been, there've been, my brain.
2: There have been far more scientific studies done by geologists of the crater in terms of. Like what you said, they did electromagnetic field measurements, gravitational changes, of measuring that stuff, looking at, you know, they did coring to figure out that it was a meteor crater because nobody knew what it was. Um, there have been more studies by geologists done of the crater than archaeologists have done of Serpent Mound, for sure. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Oh, by, by far. You would not expect that. Uh-oh. yeah uh, there's I mean, there's been very very few archaeological uh studies done but more people
0: mound. way more people know about serpent mound than they do the impact right. crater that's right yeah by well, far you're talking about yeah. two
1: different wow. groups of people that are interested though that's right. as far as the <laughs> yeah. public being interested in one site yeah. and the scientific community and historical right. aspect looking
0: at in it and how it long yeah
2: i've I've tried to you know sort of help that along i've I've given many public presentations specifically about the crater um i think Much of the material probably that that Tom Johnson covered was stuff that was in my original presentation, but he's been doing it for a while. Yeah. He's he's pretty well versed in it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah it was fun that day of shooting was so much fun with Tom we just took us on a magical mystery tour of mm-hmm. all around the Serpent and a lot of those places I had never been to uh, yeah. you know the the graveyard where you can see the upheaval um, so yeah I mean and and also guys Jeff is going to be speaking at uh, Tom and Terry's event uh, the Serpent Mountain Star Knowledge event tomorrow, tomorrow. Correct. <laughs> yeah. and what presentation yeah. are you going to be given there um, um, and it's 11 a.m. right
2: 11 in the morning okay yes. 11 in the morning um I'm stepping in to fill in for Ross Hamilton. Ross Hamilton was scheduled, to, and he now can make it. So uh, I stepped in to fill in his spot. So it's an hour long. Okay. And it is um, a presentation I've given in the past, but this is specifically about the winter solstice and Serpent Mound. Okay. So Serpent Mound has a number of astronomical alignments built into its design, yeah. where it points to the horizon where the sun comes up on the winter solstice and where the sun sets. And so I'm going to talk about that. I think we have maybe a slide in here yeah, that will show a little bit of that. Yeah. I guess a okay. preview or whatever. But yeah, they. So I, I, so I, you know, I would step in and help them out. Yeah, you know, yeah. Do that. That's fantastic. really cool.
0: That's really cool. Uh, yeah, Ross is a great guy. We went to his house and interviewed him on the winter solstice in 2020, which is where this video with Tom that we put together for that little live stream event. Yeah, uh, that was when COVID was happening. So we had this little winter solstice virtual event that uh strange road and and terry and tom and all of us kind of banded together went down to ross's got to interview him um it was a fun day um and uh so yeah keep an eye out on that uh, tomorrow winter solstice event with uh serpent mound star knowledge 11 a.m guys um so we got to know jeff a little bit uh, yeah. You know, Jeff's got here about noon today. So we've been kind of kicking it, hanging out. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, we've had some unexpected phone calls here in the studio by <laughs> uh, none other than Graham Hancock, which was interesting. Um, kind of getting some, uh, uh, a little bit of uh, trying to just understand the ancient apocalypse show on Netflix and. I guess you could call it drama that's surrounding uh, the show as a whole. Um, And then kind of a microcosm is is some of the things that are happening um, that Graham spoke about, you know, uh, out there in the public um, with interactions that uh, he had during the filming of Episode 7 on Ancient Apocalypse. 6, I think. Episode 6, okay. So it was the one where they went to uh, uh, Serpent Mound, and then the place in Louisiana, Poverty Point. Poverty Point, Mm -hmm. yes, that was a really, really cool episode. Um, And uh, honestly, as a video guys, really well put together series. Yep. Um, You know, it looks really sharp. Um, The information's really fascinating. Um, But you know, Graham's been kind of uh, for the last month or so um, getting some heat. I think it's fair to say that uh, there's <laughs> you a mean, lot of
2: different you mean angles. Launching nuclear weapons.
0: <laughs> yeah, getting a little bit of uh,
2: uh, l- a little bit of heat. Uh, oh, it's it's insane. Uh, just totally really ridiculous. What what Graham is going through. Uh, you know, he's look. First of all, um, you know, I met Graham a couple years prior to this show being uh, put together he came out to Serpent Mount he was doing research for his book America Before Okay, yeah we got and, a little shot
0: with uh, Ross and, and Graham yep. from that day
2: and that, that picture also shows his wife Santa Santa is uh, an indigenous uh, black woman from Sri Lanka and uh, the reason I chose this photo uh, in particular uh, is because it shows Santa and for the last month or two, and probably before this, Graham has been taking heat from the archaeological community, uh, calling him a racist. Which is odd. He has mixed race children. Uh, and it's, it's totally insane what people are saying about him. Uh, they don't know him at all. He's generally such a gentleman and the most decent person. But what they really are going after is they don't like what his message is. They don't like what he's saying. Sure. So they're, instead of criticizing his information, which it's not, it's tough to challenge, um, you know, they're going after him and trying to tear him down as an Individual, sure, so and don't, don't debate a, the actual
1: information yeah, and subject it's comu- and presentation. It's, completely it's a
0: outrageous.
2: way to remove the debate, right? From the situation. Yeah. Well, if you just change call, the angle, I mean, they're calling him a white supremacist, they're calling him a racist, they're calling him all, every name in the book. It's
1: it's doesn't strike me as any of that.
2: No, he's not <laughs> at all. He's totally, he's totally not anything right. like that. Yeah, which um, is again, him. you
1: can see it in the episodes. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't yeah. know. He, yeah, he seems so, like he's a pretty easygoing guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Passionate, but easygoing.
2: That's right. And, um, you know, so that kind of criticism is just way out of bounds. And it's so outrageous. And, and in any event, uh, that trip that he came, you know, uh, he came to and we helped to facilitate some of his research, um, you know, help, helped him to get the photograph that Santa took of the astronomical alignment of the sun setting on the summer solstice, which made it into America before. And uh, I contributed a number of my LIDAR images of Serpent Mound that I had done that made it into America before. Okay, So, you know, but one of the discussions that Graham and I had um, when he came for that book was that... um, the, the archaeological site of Serpent Mound is much, much older than the archaeologists have been telling the public. Um, he made a point in Ancient Apocalypse, for instance, he showed the photograph of the uh, historical marker signage that is at Serpent Mound. And when you read that, They give a specific historical narrative about Serpent Mound, saying that it was built by the Fort Ancient Culture around 1100 A.D., and all of the information on there is totally erroneous. It's completely out of date, um, and they haven't, you know, changed it at all. And so, you know, that brings up the question. It's been kind of a debate. In the country over the last you know few years five six years about you know with people wanting to remove statues of confederate soldiers or whatever and right. you know saying the question is well do you get your history from these monuments or do you get your history from somewhere some other source because if you just go and get your history off that sign you're going to believe the narrative that they've got on the sign. That's a great point. But the sign is totally wrong. And, you know, so that's that was generally his point is, hey, when you go to the site, don't read the signage cuz the signage is messed up and, you know, they need to update it for sure. Yeah. Um one of the things that um you know, came about as a result of that was he put out his book, America Before, which was, you know, highly criticized by the archaeological community, you know, in the United States. Okay. And he's been getting criticism for, you know, a couple decades since he, you know, has been writing in their turf, in their domain, right? As a journalist.
0: Yeah. Not as, as a journalist. claiming to be a scientist. Yeah, or he's, not,
2: he's not claiming that. He's he was a, a war
0: correspondent reporter right. is kind of how
2: he wants yeah, to understand a, he, he does investigative career. journalism on a bunch of different subjects, and You know, he really focuses on things that don't get a lot of light shed on them. And he has taken bits and pieces of things and and created a larger picture about what was going on in prehistory. Um, And I don't think that his general overall uh, hypothesis is that unreasonable. Um, in fact, right. many of the things that he has called out have turned out to be true. For instance, he you know, has highlighted the um, you know, absolute worldwide catastrophe that happened during the Younger Dryas. Right. And that's undeniable scientific information that other scientists piece together. And that was controversial for many. Other fields, geologists. That was very controversial. All he's doing
1: is, yeah, taking disparate information and drawing the connections. Drawing the connections. That other groups maybe don't overlap and they don't see them, but he sees the bigger picture. Everybody has their
2: specialty, so. Right. And his idea that, well, we know that people lived through the Ice Age, and we know that people lived through the Younger Dryas because we're here today. Right. 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 And so. Is it that unreasonable to believe that the same people with the same IQ bandwidth as you and me today were living back then, you know, we're all the same human beings, right? Right. Um, That there possibly could have been people that developed a a civilization before the worldwide catastrophe of the younger Right. It doesn't seem that unreasonable. And if you look at things like just in in Europe, for instance, There was, uh, you know, the Magdalenian Revolution, they call it, which was, you know, somewhere between like 14,000 years ago and 22,000 years ago. That's when people started doing a lot of the cave paintings and developing all kinds of different kinds of technology and so on and so forth of, you know, stone, bone, you know, you name it. So there were people that were developing art, culture, music, you know, you find bone whistles from that period of time. So why is it so unreasonable that that happened before the Younger Dryas catastrophe? We already know that that happened in Europe. Uh, so why is that so, so controversial? It's not controversial. But because Graham says it, it's controversial. It's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, so I don't. I, I'm not aligned with Graham on every single thing under the sun, and, you know. And right. you know, if we want to talk about some differences and in, in details that that they presented in Ancient Apocalypse about Serpent Mound, that I disagree with. Sure, you know, we could talk about that stuff. Yeah. But, but the idea is, he put forward a hypothesis. In science, you you know. Be prepared to defend your hypothesis, but other people can criticize your hypothesis based on the merits of the data.
1: But that's not what's going that's on. That's not what's
2: happening. And right. that's it's he's a racist. He's you know, a white supremacist it's it's totally crazy. It's well, totally and I crazy. think it's
1: interesting too that like you just said, you, you have some points that you obviously line up with them on where you think very closely. Um and probably others where you couldn't be more divergent right like you just yeah. nope that's we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on which that which
0: is what we're supposed to do by the way we're supposed conversational to have a debate, debate right and if there's someone else has better information or more data you add to the story because of it. this doesn't take away the work that's been done at all i mean well, there's right, no you there's know, not allowed it, to be adding to stories what it seems like right so, but it's just set in stone and then there's nothing else that can come in well i mean what about you know einstein and newton like, oh, Newton's
2: work just doesn't go away. So, so eventually, eventually the, uh, there was a production company that came to Graham and developed the series, and they sold it to Netflix. And they wanted to do one of the episodes, at least part of one of the episodes, at Serpent Mound. So, you know, they... They went all around the world. You guys see the show. They, yeah. they went to oh, yeah. you know, Indonesia, and they yep. went to Turkey, and they went to Malta, and they went to Mexico look at the pyramids. Everywhere they went around the world, they had to get government approval, to perm- permits to film in all these places. And they got that uh, you know, approval in every place, including World Heritage Site of Poverty Point in Louisiana.
0: Yeah, they had a big interview the right there. The only
2: place in the entire world that refused to give them a permit to film with Serpent Mount, and the Ohio History Connection refused that's, to grant him a permit. and That's wild. And he came to me and was like, what can I do? And I said, well, that's now really That's what's wild. being
0: contested right now is right. whether or not Ohio – and we don't have to go there just yet. Right. We do have a awesome BTS photo of, of Jeff's yeah. day with, with Graham. Yeah, so um,
2: Santa Hancock took this photo of us and sent this photo. to me. Um, so we're standing literally on – on our adjacent property looking towards uh, the Serpent Mound Park. Um, and from the ang- from this angle, you can't really see it, but from the angle where they filmed, behind us is the large conical mound by the parking lot at Serpent Mound. So that's why we filmed in that location, because he was not allowed to film on the property. So... Was he allowed
1: on the property?
2: Did he get to walk around the, the structure itself? Not um, when
1: they were filming, but did he actually get to go in and see Circle well, and we, He
2: did for his research for America before. I'm but saying
1: for this last for trip, this
2: he, For this, he did not have time. Okay. Uh, they had a filming, uh, you know, things. And so... I was just wondering
1: if they went that far with it. Like, you're not even allowed like like
2: No. I'm going to film They but. just did not grant him uh, permission to film. Okay. okay. And so they... they now... What has happened in the last few days is that there was another uh, video podcast group out there that they went to Serpent Mound after watching Ancient Apocalypse, saw Graham read that email that he had gotten from the Ohio History Connection, and they drove to Serpent Mound and then interviewed the employee in the the gatehouse when you pay your money when you come in. We and have
0: that video if we want to play it back.
2: Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, I wouldn't give them any more attention than it is. Yeah, but what totally. they did was they interviewed the, the person from the OHC, and they told them an invented story that, no, we didn't ban them from coming here, but that what they had requested was that they wanted to come and shut down the park for four days during the summer solstice to right. film. That's totally not the case because right. they filmed during the fall equinox. The, the production was not for the summer solstice at all i was gonna
0: all. say i remember this summer you said that they were there in the fall yes
2: therefore they were, there for, they That's were there what for, was confusing they were me. there around the fall equinox they had nothing to do with the summer solstice at all so the video that lady telling that story is totally fabricated the second it's thing was probably not
0: she's being fed information she's just, exactly she's a person that works there let's right. be
2: really clear she's yeah. not in charge of the
0: park the manager no. um so has
2: been coached what to say sure. and, and we got reports from from another person. We had a. a person that we gave a tour to and uh, they reached out to us after the fact after the tour was done they went in the museum talked to the manager about this same subject of why'd you ban Graham Hancock uh, from filming and she said we didn't the letter that Graham read on the show was fabricated that was also told to somebody and so I reached out to Graham and I said, hey, this, this is letter. what people are saying, this and so he has posted this online. You can go out to Graham's webpage, GrahamHancock.com, and, Graham and you can see the actual email that he received. And it clearly states at the bottom of it that we are not going to allow you to film specifically because of Graham Hancock.
0: And that's that's basically the last two sentences last there two at sentences. the bottom. Yeah. Uh, if you guys really want to read that, you know, it, it's uh, GrahamHancock.com. Right. Uh, so you have
2: basically. So, so they they they're they're denying and they're lying about you know what actually transpired, uh, but you know Graham's got the evidence to show that that's exactly what took place. Was they denied it because? It was Graham Hancock. And so, you know, that and brings he, that brings up questions about censorship, it brings up questions about control of the site. Like why why do this? You know, like, what is the point? Um, and there, and the, the, see, the thing is, is that Graham isn't the first one to be denied sure. filming permitting at Serpent Mound. Uh, Just maybe the most visible. The Friends of Serpent Mound also facilitated in exactly the same way that we helped facilitate Graham's, uh, you know, uh, episode. There was a Native American uh, production company that wanted to do an episode for Red Earth Uncovered, which is a Canadian program. The entire production team is made up of First Nations peoples. They, uh, the, you know, the writers, the director, the producer, the cameraman, the sound guys, the interviewers, they're all First Nation okay. peoples. Okay. And they wanted to do an episode about Serpent Mound. The whole show of Red Earth Uncovered is about Native peoples, trying to go and find out information about their own oral traditions. Mm. So they have a tradition about Serpent Mound, the Great Horned Serpent. So they wanted to film an episode there. They were denied by the OHC to film there. This is wild. Because they had done a prior episode about Native American oral traditions of Sasquatch. And they said, well, that's paranormal. We don't. I, we don't want anything associated with paranormal about about serpent So denied. So we facilitated exactly the same way. We they filmed on the adjacent property, same location that Graham was staying in. We did a you know a, a, you know shoot from there. I did an interview with them. I gave them the same kind of drone imagery, different drone imagery right. than what I gave you know for Graham right. Graham's show. So you know you can kind of work around it, uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of insane. I mean, they've denied. And PR, they denied, you know, some of the major network affiliates, you know, out of Cincinnati to try to film there. We've had to host them on the on the adjacent property because it's it's all about them trying to control the narrative about what Serpent Mound is and what is, you know. And they don't want anything that deviates from their narrow story.
0: They they're in their words, they're trying to protect it. And according to this this email, is like, we want right. to protect. The heritage and essentially the narrative of what we know to be fact—the story and, and that they wrote themselves—the the Native American
2: <laughs> history
0: yeah. of of right. the, the tribe that's involved um, with.
2: Well, if Ohio you read that history letter, read that letter carefully. They talk about they how they view their role. This is yeah. we're talking about the Ohio history connection. How they view their role in regards to Serpent Mount, and they do say in there that. Their role is to preserve the historical narrative, right? And, well, what is that historical narrative? Well, it's the narrative that they wrote themselves, right? So anything that deviates from the narrative that they wrote themselves, they don't want that an alternative, you know, viewpoint or a story or anything like that. Um, and so, again, it goes to did they get
0: burnt in the past or like, did anything yes. happen to where? Yeah, sure. Yeah. For they, some
2: reason why they're very protective of that. In I the guess. last five years thing or six or seven years, the things have really, you know, got really tightened down with screws on this because of what happened with ancient aliens. Okay. Um, ancient what happened aliens there? wanted to do an episode about <laughs> Serpent Mound. They reached out. Got permission to film uh, at Serpent Mound. Okay. In fact, uh, Dr. Brad Lepper, archaeologist from the Ohio History there. Connection, was in the episode. He got filmed for the episode. Um, I personally declined to be a part of the episode. I'm I, not uh, a, you know, an adherent to that idea of ancient aliens, and so I declined to be part of it. But they filmed that episode, and the OHC got so much you know, flack from the academic community about it, that they just basically shut down all productions, you know. So there isn't really anything that people can, you know, do to – it doesn't matter if you're Native American, I guess, or, you know, Graham Hancock. Nobody gets to, you know, do anything there. So
0: When we shot our interview with you in 2018 – uh, the guy that was in charge of the park, the ranger, uh, older gentleman, great guy, used to yep. get along with him <laughs> super well. And he yeah. he left and was like, hey, guys, feel free fly the drone. You guys want to shoot your interview? <laughs> cool. I'm going home. And we just had the park. We just were like, really?
2: That's great. And, and Tim. Tim Goodwin. Yeah. yeah. Tim he Goodwin, was great. Tim Goodwin. We shot the interview with you, which is up on our YouTube page. Tim Goodwin's a great guy. And, um, you know. Over time, you have to build trust with with people, and right. yeah, Tim had seen us around too, so you know we we had a we had a relationship that uh, you know we aren't going to screw up the park. We love right. the park, right? We, you guys want to protect the park. We've been preserving right. it from We've the beginning. We've been volunteering for a long time, so right, you know. We don't want to have anything crazy or nothing no. like that happen to it. So, right. uh, so I'm leaving never,
1: you there actually just that. extends his watch, right? Exactly. By proxy, yes. the locals
0: <laughs> have more invested in that place. Yeah, you, there's so many of these cool groups that have been doing events and and bringing you know other people right. to be able to share the Serpent Mound.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's well, just a
0: head head scratcher to me why you wouldn't want to work with right. organizations like yourself and well. And, you know,
2: and work together. I, I mentioned that you know, Gra- you know Graham has been censored there, and Red Earth Uncovered has been censored. Well, friends of Serper Mountain got censored there too. Um, you know, we used to host a, uh, and we still host a summer solstice celebration for the. Yeah, you know, it's a good weekend time. closest to uh, the solstice usually falls on the weekend. Sometimes, so um, and we used to host that event at Serpent Mound. Is when we were volunteers there, we organized all kinds of events. So we would host, you know, archaeology day or geology day or reptile day or you know, we had we did events for the solstices and the equinoxes, and uh, we had because. It's inherently built into the, the design of Serpent Mound. That's so, what it right? is. It's, you're there to celebrate that, right? So we would hold a celebration. We have all kinds of speakers from a you know, whole different range of viewpoints come out and talk about things related to you know, Serpent Mound or whatever. And so um, one year, uh, the OHC came to us and said, um, uh, if you're going to do the event at Serpent Mound, you must have all of the speakers' presentations delivered to us three months in advance, and we will have a committee go through there and <coughs> review them for the content. Hmm. And we said, no, I don't think so. Academic freedom is something that I, you know, kind of stand by. And so Rightfully we so. decided to move the event to the adjacent property, which our family, you know, collect, you know, collect owns, and... We decided to hold the events there, and we kind of affectionately refer to it as the Free Speech Zone, um, and, because they wanted to control and restrict and s- essentially censor yeah. people for what they were saying. Yeah. and uh, you know, I, here's here's my view about that: is I don't believe that any one person can get the answer. Right, right. So you need a wide range of viewpoints to try to understand well some person sees it this way another person sees it this way another right. person sees it this way maybe you can take a little bit of this you might disagree with a lot of it you might take, mm-hmm. be able to take this a little bit here and come together to yeah. figure out what the what the closer to the truth or the what the reality might be right but that's not what they're doing what they're doing is saying we don't like what this person is saying, they're banned. We don't like what this person is saying, they're banned. We don't like what this person is saying, this is censored. And we don't believe in any of that. So, you know, that's where the friction has come mostly yeah. in the last, you know, f- 10 to 15 years is over issues like that. The information that's being presented. Correct. And here's the thing I,
0: you know, met Jeff, an extremely measured guy over here, right. very well researched, scientific you know, is into instrumentation and scanning and all these different types of, like, show me the facts. Like, he's that's not some tinfoil wearing hat no, dude no, running got around a <laughs> as if, you know, I mean, you know, wow. working for NASA, like, your your resume is, I mean, you're published on academic, uh, academia.edu. Well, anybody can uh, do that. Yeah. <laughs> <that's> not, yeah. <laughs>
2: that's not but big deal. you
0: have some interesting papers with, uh, you know, contributing with uh, Dr. William Romain, um, yeah, which some sure. of his work has kind of butted heads with uh, Dr. Bradley Leper, who was used to be
2: the head archaeologist. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that in a little bit. I mean, um, I, I would say you've had this picture up here for a while. I can yeah. explain what this picture is. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Um, so <coughs> in the earliest days of the Friends of Serpent Mound, when people were trying to figure out what can we do to help the park, you know, with the financial crisis, um, we wanted to get people to come to the park throughout the year right and not just yeah the winter time is kind of a dark dead time right and so um and this this is a fun story so i came up with this idea uh to light up the serpent with uh luminary candles and um I'm sure you guys remember the band Duran Duran? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Duran Duran had done a documentary in the late 1990s, and in the interview portion of the documentary they were interviewing the band, uh, the band was talking about how in the earliest days of the band on MTV, their music videos reached millions of people, and it became a double-edged sword for the band. That, on one hand, it, it beca- they became incredibly recognizable. But, on the other hand, those videos became iconic in the public's mind. The images, when I say the band Duran Duran, a lot of people think, well, you know, you see the boat, uh, you know, the sailboat with all of them and their silk seats on the boat, right, you know, right, yeah. sailing, you know, singing Rio or whatever. That, those That's what conjures up in people's minds, is that iconic imagery. Right, And they said that forevermore, they have been trying to recreate iconic imagery to give to the public to help them change and break out of that original identifiable iconic imagery. And they talked about the power of iconic imagery. And that really stuck with me. And so I thought, well, what could we do to deliver iconic imagery into the public consciousness about Serpent Mound? And I said, Well, you know, you know white people have been stealing native culture forever, right you know ever since we got you know Europeans got to the shore have been stealing that stuff. Right. why don't we steal a little bit of white culture back and apply it here? Uh, you know there are instances, particularly in some of the southwestern tribes where they do use luminary candles in you know various ceremonies or whatever. why don't we take something associated around Christmas time that generally, you know, the large, large Christian population in this country would recognize yeah. using luminary candles at Christmas time. But take that and bring it to Serpent Mound and light it up it's really so that cool. when you see it, it just burns that oh, image yeah. right it's, into your mind. It's really wild doesn't do it
0: justice. How often right do you there? do do you still do this?
2: No. Uh, we did this for many years and then the OHC came to us and That's said one of the first events I went to banned can't do this event any longer for Um,
0: what reasons
2: uh we were told that a group of uh, native americans from oklahoma didn't like this and so they banned the event so that's so it it, they own the site they you know they're the corporation that owns the site so you can't really there's nobody to you know appeal to or anything like that they just ended it uh, so we did it for more than a decade. Is it because they Thousands want of people their came
0: ceremonies, out. they want to be able to have their ceremony? We weren't given any
2: explanation
1: other than... I don't think there was a competing this, agenda. I just no. think they didn't like... They didn't like they the people coming
2: really? out there,
0: I guess. So um, So they don't uh, want people to look at this. They don't want people to be out in... in well, it's closed yeah. at 5 o'clock. It's an astronomical uh, alignment of the sun and at the, the setting. sun It closes settings. at 5 and it closes at five, so you can't even see the sunset,
2: which is You're odd. Not well, on the winter you know, solstice, you can, right? Because uh, it's because it's, it's a little
0: earlier. But um, the summer, it's closed for three hours. By the time it happens,
2: yeah. So, so there's all kinds of issues like that about access to the site. Um, you know, it's hard to get people to try to do the right thing. Uh, you know, there's a corporation that's got an agenda, uh, and they're trying to placate. Various groups for political reasons, and you know, we don't have to get into any of that stuff. Gotcha. But, uh, nevertheless, this is this was an event that thousands and thousands of people come to. Um, for instance, uh, Midwest Living Magazine did a story on this, named this uh, one of the three destinations, f- uh, to go and visit in the Midwest during the Christmas season. Cool. You know, so. It was inspiring to some, uh, to quite a few people. There is uh, a couple of attendees that walked away from this and said, after after this event got shut down, they said, "We're going to recreate this." They went and built a replica of Serpent Mound here in Ohio on their farm, and they light it up for the winter solstice now. Yep, and we don't have anything to do with them. We've nev- we have never even met them, but they, th- it inspired them to do that. And so that's uh, kind of up north of Lima, uh, I think. Uh, I've never you know, heard of you that. But you can great. look at, at their – they built Serpent Mound perfectly. Really? Like when you look at Brad a Google Dance image – and
0: Paul Verini have uh, invited us out to that. They really? Have, to their event. Uh, I've seen pictures. They have like a, it's like by water, I believe. Like yeah, some kind of pond. they have a they, they have, have a large pond.
2: Yeah, it's they built, built they it, built a serpent mound to Two one scale. one third scale. Okay, so it's smaller than this one, but it it looks okay. identical. You look at it on a Google Earth Google cool. Earth image. And it's like, hey, that's, that's so serpent cool. mound. Yeah. But it's a shout out to those scene. folks. Hit us up in the comments yeah. if anybody, yeah.
0: uh, you right. know, they want some uh, recognition about uh, the the cool scale model of Serpent Mound. Yeah. Like, bravo, that's that's an undertaking. Good yeah. for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not us. They did well, it. Well, no, th- those yeah. right. Oh, absolutely. Good right. for yeah. them. Yeah. Like, taking the initiative. Yeah. And, you <laughs> so. know, people still get to enjoy lighting of some Serpent Mound. Yeah. yeah. Right. So,
2: I'd know, say
1: that would have been really cool to see.
2: And I think that, uh, you know, photos like this live on. Um, and, you know, f- for more than a decade, you know, it was a fun tradition. Anyway, yeah. So um, maybe, maybe, in the future, a new regime will come in and recognize the value of it and do it yeah. again i don 't yeah. know but um,
0: and that 's awesome well it's so. i mean that's, I feel bad for you guys that you 're not allowed to do some of these things that you were able to do in the past with uh, friends of the serpent mound and your right. organization uh, i mean it is what it is i you, mean you want to uh, you try to do feel the right thing and like they they're pushing back uh like, they're trying to go head-to-head head with you? Do you do you feel like they're... Uh, well, I
2: think it's more about the control. Okay. They want the control. And, uh, you know, we're now an independent organization. You
0: guys don't so. care about power or no. the no. money or... We don't have anything to do with to running to the park. Control, we don't have anything right.
2: to do with controlling the park. Um, You're just trying to raise awareness. I want to make this clear. Yeah, please do. We advocate for Serpent Mound. Right. We don't advocate for the OHC. Okay. Okay. And so they are the corporation that owns it. Right. And so, you know, they want to have their own control and they want to have their own control of the narrative and do their own thing. So, you know. It's a difference of, uh, you know, ownership and control. Right. And we're not looking for that, you know, but. uh, Right.
1: Right. So. Well. Wild situation. Yeah.
2: I think I think
0: organizations like yours, like you said early on, I mean, if it wasn't for locals, where would this place be? If they didn't have yeah. the money, and you said they had two people working there at some time, yeah. you got to have yeah. local communities I think that's the part to protect of it that's kind these. Uh, and we, we're going to get in into face. that, of of how Serpent Mound began well, the protection and it's, the people it's that... Not,
2: it, it really wasn't just about Serpent Mound. That happened to all of their historic sites across right. the state. Um, and so all of the sites suffered, not just Serpent Mound, Um, and in fact, uh, it got so bad that the OHC decided to, and this is a corporate thing, they decided to essentially assign a subcontractor to manage all of their sites across the state, and so they went to local groups that had Uh, local stakeholder, you know, sort of interest in maintaining it because they live there or they were a volunteer group there or whatever. And they selected a bunch of these organizations to manage uh, all these sites across the state as a subcontractor management with, you know, some oversight. And then they paid them a little pittance on the side to, you know, sort of give them some incentive to do it. Certainly not enough money to actually manage the any of these sites right i mean it's, it's been a, a complete embarrassing disaster for histor- historical sites in in the state it's you know but it's a corporate thing right it's all right. the money right and um it would be honestly in my opinion it would be best if m- sites like serpent mound and many of these sites just got transferred to the ohio dnr and then there is some level of representation you can go to your state representative if you see something out of whack and your representative can you know sort of lean on the administration for managing the site better yeah. mm. they have direct control over funding for those things Let's see that's interesting Um and that would be a better place than where we are today with a private corporation running it all Right right so
0: Are they a nonprofit
2: or They are but yeah. they I mean they have a CEO and a CFO and they have sure. a board of directors and uh you know I mean the the last CEO according to their last annual statement was making more money than the governor of Ohio you know I mean they're well. making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and you know so when people they ask for you know donations and money to you know help prop up their th- it's really a corporate thing right. that they're doing right. yeah. and uh so you know if you if you understand that they're a corporation and they make decisions like any other corporation, it's all about the money, it's all about the bottom line. It begins you begin to understand their behavior, and uh, it's it becomes very apparent quickly. It's hmm. not like, you know, I mean we're a 501c3 corporation technically yeah. too, friends yeah. of SerpMount, <clears throat> but we don't have a. CEO and the CFO and we don't have a single paid employee right. it's all volunteer you know we don't have giant budgets or anything like the that the money goes
0: to putting on your events and having you yeah. guys have little town halls that right. you do. nobody's making
2: any money you know at right. w- w- yeah. a- 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 any of it um, but that's that's a direct contrast to the corporation right? right and they you know the OHC is a big corporation hmm. and uh, you know they they're they're annual budgets in the millions of dollars right so
1: okay so they're gonna have it their way for quite a while or until something dramatic happens or right we'll see how this plays out
2: (laughs) well i mean mean, yeah it's there's there's always changes that happen right so i mean 20 years ago they they they're about ready to financially implode right uh and you know today it's a little bit different situation Things can change, you know. Right. Fortunes reverse, you know. Right. Uh, control changes. People that get in charge come up with a different mindset. The last yeah. CEO, yeah. you know, was very corporate. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the next CEO, the current, you know, one that just got her job in in August, maybe her, her approach will be different. I don't know. Sure. So.
0: Could be. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's change could change like the seasons, you know. <laughs> right. it, there's I'm right. sure a hundred percent there are great people that work. For these organizations, absolutely, yeah. all across, the, whether it be the Smithsonian or whoever it is, right, and you know there's great people that are are doing good work that's within these uh, groups as well.
2: So it's yes, because people you know, people are dedicated to trying to preserve, uh, you know, our country's heritage and our country's yeah, history. Right. it's important, right. right? So, but it's different when that heritage and that control is by a corporation, right? And it's the the end goal is you know, financial, right? Right. So it's, that's different than enthusiasts that want to preserve it. So like, you know, every county has a sort of a county historical society, right? Okay. You know, it used to be the Ohio historical society and then they changed the name to the Ohio history connection and they got distance themselves from that idea that it's a volunteer society, that it the a corporation so. okay so wild
0: well i i appreciate you uh, kind of giving that perspective a little bit and, and i would yeah. be you know more than happy to you know oblige any type of conversation on on both sides of of the right. fence you know right. it'd be interesting to talk to graham it'd be interesting to talk to um you know the person that uh the with involved with the email you know i i like to see every side of each story um and you know i think jeff has a unique perspective with the stuff that was going on with ancient Apocalypse. he was uh you know involved with the with the episode and and was able to you know help the production crew during that and provided some amazing drone footage to the to the production (laughs) as well by the way yeah and jeff's been cool enough to lend us some of his uh, drone footage as well, and what you have like over a thousand hours or something insane,
2: or <laughs> well, I I usually take still photography. That's, yeah, that's kind of my thing. I I try to intentionally remember I had that discussion about iconic imagery. Yeah, yeah. I try to get photographs that become like iconic imagery. I'm sure you can yeah, show some some, some aerial drone shots here. Um, so I. Have not really focused on on film photography much. Gotcha. But uh, Graham's production, they wanted certain shots. Um, they did hire a secondary drone company, Drone Ohio. Shout out to Drone Ohio. What's up, nice. Drone Ohio? They're up in Cleveland. Uh, they came down. I helped facilitate their production, uh, and uh, they, you know, the production liked a lot of my drone footage too. So they used both well, in the episode. So many a lot of practice, practice of what? Yeah, ang- so what I think uh, over the last three or at. four years, I've taken probably about seventy thousand aerial images of Serpent Mound. I very rarely post them. Maybe once every couple of months, I'll post a couple Um because I think that if I just dumped seventy thousand aerial yeah, images sure. of Serpent Mound out there, it becomes a little less special. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, and totally. uh, you know, so I'm. I try to be very selective. I try to you know put pictures out there that, image. that really you know speak to people yeah. and you know impress wow that's just amazing yeah. you know kind of thing but you know it allowed me to see Serpent Mound from so many different angles right and part of that project of doing that work over the course of several years was of course to take <laughs> Aerial alignment shots of when the sun rises and where the sun sets.
1: Oh, wow. So
2: that you can see all the astronomical alignments. And I think we, I have some of those images oh, yeah. for you guys. Oh, I'm to excited see for that. It. I mean, since so, you
1: were saying, yeah, before, I think, you don't get to so see I've, them. Right. Yeah.
2: I've, so I've captured all of them. Oh, I've that's captured fantastic. All of the major sunrise well. and sunset alignments. And, um, you know, I've, we've even got a couple of uh, ground level views from before they, sh- you know, kind of started restricting the park a little bit, Yeah, where I did some time-lapse photography of showing the alignments uh, happen while you you stand there on the ground and watch it happen. Oh, very cool. So we'll at least see one of those for sure. Yeah,
0: fantastic. And just kind of to let everybody know that eventually this is going to be available on all of our podcast platforms, and this episode is... Pretty heavily visual, visually intense. So, uh, you know, obviously, come to the YouTube channel if, uh, if here in the near future when this when this airs, uh, if you want to see these images, head to the uh, YouTube.com/slash/TheStrangeRoad. We'll be yeah. we'll um, be
1: descriptive though. We'll really uh, yeah. spell out what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know this is a good point. Now, I think building kind of a base. We've talked about a lot of great things, um, but let's dig into the people. Early on, that really, I mean, so many earthworks were being destroyed systematically all over the country right. in the 1800s and 1900s. That mm-hmm. it's to amazing lose. that we still have as many as we do now. I mean, someone estimated there was at least 10,000 earthworks and mounds in Ohio alone, right? And maybe we have a less than a thousand I, it, that are depending on how you count them uh, yeah because know, temple complexes versus like right newark uh, only the circle and the octagons really left yeah but there was a whole giant site that took up essentially the whole city of newark yep um and that's kind of been in the news with the great octagon in the lease so i don't want to get into that right it's a whole episode <laughs> uh but jeff you want to take us through kind
2: of how you tapped in so the well, early let me, let me people, talk a little bit about yeah, the early history. Of yes, propaganda. absolutely. So I'm actually finishing up a book. Uh, it should be out before the end of the year. Um, I'm just finishing up, like, the indexing right now. Um, I'm re-releasing a book called Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley. It's an expanded edition. It'll have about 400 additional pages. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, most people that are interested in the mounds and the earthworks, they come across ancient monuments of the Mississippi Valley pretty quickly. Cause that's a book that has been that was referred <laughs> back to, uh, Squire, by and, everybody. Davis. Squire yep. and Davis were the authors. Uh, and the book that I'm writing, uh, came about because I've been trying to put together, uh, a comprehensive volume about Serpent Mound. Okay, and Squire and Davis's book, Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley, had the first published account of Serpent Mound in it, and they included kind of an illustration, kind of an overhead view map of ancient uh, of Serpent Mound. And I went back to kind of fact check what they had written about Serpent Mound. They got several factual details incorrect. But one of the things I realized when I looked at that imagery, and I've been looking at it for a long time, um, is that Squire and Davis didn't do that illustration of Serpent Mountain, which is a pretty famous one. Um, Actually, they didn't do any of the illustrations for ancient monuments in the Mississippi Valley, although they have been given credit for that for the last 175 years. It's the 175th anniversary of the publication of. Uh, by the Smithsonian of ancient monuments in the Mississippi Valley. And so um, the people who did the illustrations, all of the major maps that are in the book, what they call plates, um, those were done by a lithographic company in New York City called uh, Cerrone and Major, uh, Nicholas Cerrone and and, uh, Henry Major. And they did all of the illustrations through a lithographic print process I don't know if you're familiar with a lithographic process but yep. essentially they're looking at a drawing and they transfer that drawing in mirror image onto a wax coated stone plate and they essentially Etched. scrape yeah they etch it uh, etch the wax away and then they apply an acid. Over the top of it, which etches that into the stone it doesn't eat away the wax they wash all that off and then they apply the ink and then they stamp the paper and that's how they made those illustrations for so ancient cool, monuments dude. well' talk about analog <laughs> I realized that that illustration they they were working off of a drawing that was done by somebody else okay okay and I did like a, little, like a Hail Mary research pass. Uh, could I find it? Could I find that original drawing? Does it still exist anywhere? Um, and I did. I managed to find the original Serpent Mound illustration, as well as probably about 95% of all the other illustrations, the major plates that are in ancient monuments in the Mississippi Valley. Um, none of it has ever been published before. Um, now, when most, you say
0: you found them, yes, are we talking like physically found them or digitally found them th- in archives? Physically. Okay, yeah, they're, they're, wow.
2: None of it's been almost none of it's been digitized. Wow. Um, most of it I found in a collection of papers by Squire, uh, the Eg paper, Squire Papers at the Library of Congress. Oh, wow. Um. Subsequently, I managed to find several other collections of papers by people who contributed s- to Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley and their original maps and their original drawings that Squire worked off of um, and, okay. and the artists worked off of. And so the, the book, which Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley Expanded Edition, is, will, will have the original, exactly the same text pagination, but whenever you hit a plate... You'll see the original drawing by the original, uh, you know, surveyor. And then I've written, you know, some historical context about each one of those. Because Squire and Davis really only did about 28% of all the surveys that are in the book. Okay. Even though they've been given credit for all of Contracting it. it out? Yeah. Well, they didn't contract it out. They basically stole it from other yeah. people.
0: <laughs> so they went ahead and literally, yeah. like, just came in later. and yes.
2: Yeah, these people were, were all these other people were doing their work, you know, 20 to 25 years before Squire. Wow! Ended. So, so I have stuff that dates back all the way to the 1700s. What? Um, you know, illustrations that are going to be what a the book. find. Um, yeah. and almost Dang. I would say, you know, probably 95% of what I'm uh, is in the book has never been published previously, Whew. so that. Super sleuth, though I found know. I was able to find yeah I was able to find the original Serpent Mound illustration. Plus, I found uh, Squire's original field notebooks, and they had the original field notes for Serpent Mound as well. So that is all material that no one's ever seen before. That's really um, cool. None of the archaeologists ever cited it. You know, no one alive, thing,
0: so. for sure, right? right? Or I mean, it's not like are are there professors at universities across the country or anywhere that are. Looking for this kind of stuff, or has uh, anybody not so, really? So, you beat you were kind of the modern person that is, is bringing, and this is all yeah. pretty recent, right? I mean, this is yeah, a, this
2: book won't come out for a couple of weeks yet. But um,
0: finding the uh, the yes, the images that's, that's yeah. all within this that's year. Right wow yeah so, this so
2: is... yeah last december or last november and uh, december was when i looked through the library of congress material and then subsequently over the past six months or so i found all these other collections of material um and so are there that...
0: archives in ohio that you can go to like um, if you
2: if someone wanted to go and research this stuff like where would they start here, here in ohio if you wanted to go start digging in so there are probably three major collections. Um, one would be the, the collection that I use the most is at the Western Reserve Historical Society in Cleveland. Okay, They hold uh, the Charles Whittlesley papers. Whittlesley contributed quite a bit to the book. Uh, Charles Whittlesley was um, part of the Ohio Geological Survey in 1837, uh, 38, 39, and they did... Many, many earthwork surveys, quite a few of those were, for the first time, published in ancient monuments. And so Whittlesley is credited in ancient monuments as doing a lot of it. He did about, I want to say, maybe about 15% of all of the surveys in ancient monuments were done by Charles Whittlesley. So his papers are at the Western Reserve, as well as Squire's original field notebooks. And so that's where I went and looked at those. Um, The guy who contributed the most... To ancient monuments is actually a guy by the name of James McBride. Mm-hmm. James McBride was from Hamilton, uh, the city of Hamilton. He did a lot of work in Hamilton and Butler County, surveyed dozens and dozens of sites over there. Uh, he put together these amazing, handwritten, hand-lettered, leather-bound books <laughs> of all of his surveys. Um, and then lent them to Squire. Squire mm. took them to New York and they basically copied almost every single page in the book. Um, and I didn't realize this until just recently. Um, and those papers are owned by the uh, Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia, which is part of Drexel University. There, those papers are now on permanent loan at the OHC. And there's actually some bizarro corporate fight between who actually owns those papers now and so i won't be able to use any of those james or Pryde illustrations in the book until that ownership thing gets settled because one side says they own it the other side says they own it uh and you know i can't really publish it until somebody settles that so so those won't be in yeah now i'm quoting waiting. from all of the field notes that are in there but i won't be able to use any of the illustrations um, so
0: you've been in there you've found them you just yes. can't
2: yeah, Drexel, Drexel allowed me permission to go in and photograph anything from the collection. Drexel which I did. University, mm-hmm. yeah, the okay. Academy of Natural Sciences did. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, the OHC is you know claiming ownership now. So hmm. um, the um, the other big collection something. is um, probably at the Cincinnati Museum Center. They have a collection of James McBride's other papers, as well as a lot of other collections of papers. Like, um, Well, they just have a bunch of stuff. uh, Let's put it that way. And uh, so those would be the three main groups, although I have found uh, stuff in other archives as well. Uh, But but for the most part, those are the three main ones uh, that I used. Uh, Ironically, the Wisconsin Historical Society has some of the earliest earthwork illustrations from Ohio. Oh. Um, there was a, a, a gentleman uh, by the name of Draper back in the mid-1800s, uh, starting around the 1840s, who was from Wisconsin, that realized that somebody needed to preserve the early papers from people from the first white people arriving in the Northwest Territory. <clears throat> and so he went around and bought and collected all of these early manuscripts. And these um, are like town hall reports, antiquarian journals, uh, or all kinds of collections. Yeah. Of papers. So there's like, he went and doctors. interviewed a lot of people before they died. And so he collected all kinds of stuff. And one of the major collections from a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Daniel Drake, Um, Many of his early illustrations are probably the earliest illustrations of a lot of the Earthworks sites like the Hopewell Earthworks or Spruce Hill or Mm. um, Circleville. Those will be in the book. Those have never been published before. They are part of the Draper Manuscript Collection at the Wisconsin Historical Society. Oh, wow. So. Uh, I was able to access those collections, and that stuff will be in the book. Um, so That's there's incredible. there's a lot of stuff that people have never seen before, and it's going to hopefully change the narrative about how archaeologists identify primary source documents. Because for the last 175 years, almost universally. Everybody refers back to Squire and Davis as the primary source document, and that is completely not true. Mm. And we're missing these all these collections other areas, of all this work by stuff. all these other people, is what Squire used to make the book, right? And it, and none of these other people have gotten credit, people like. You know, like I mentioned, Daniel Drake or Charles Wittlesley or James McBride or Constantine Rafanesque.
0: There was a guy down from in Kentucky. Kentucky.
2: Yeah, yeah. Constantine Rafanesc. Yeah.
0: He was like a There's farmer or
2: something. Ra- or... Rafanesc contributed. Yeah. You know, Rafanesque was dead before Squire even started, right. you know, before Squire ever moved to Ohio. Mm-hmm. He actually was a contemporary with Daniel Drake, knew Daniel Drake, Caleb Atwater <laughs> from Circleville, uh, and... Those guys did, you know, their versions of ancient monuments 25 years before Squire yep, and Davis. Right. And then Squire and Davis basically reused a lot of their material. They just redrew it, essentially. Yep. Um, and so, you know, there are these earlier pioneers who did all this work that I'm hopefully going to shine a light on them and give credit that's to really them. That's really cool. And oh, yeah. man, that's great. mini biographies of some of yeah. those people that never really got, you know— Who who actually did this work, right? So I went through and did all this primary source stuff. There's been very, very few references to, like, the collection of Squire papers at the Library of Congress. The the first one that I ran across was there was a, a, a reproduction of ancient monuments in the Mississippi Valley in 1973 by Harvard University's AMS Press. They produced one, and it had a new introduction written by a professor of archaeology at uh, University of Michigan, James Griffin, who was probably, out of all the archaeologists I've ever run across and studied, that guy knew more than just about anybody else I've ever come across. Wow. And he really knew his stuff. He was, a super, he was like a pottery savant. He, he went around and visited every collection of pottery across the eastern United States and studied it and wrote about it. And, you know, he was the first guy to really set up carbon dating uh, at the University of Michigan. The, they were the first ones to really kind of start doing carbon dating. Oh, wow! Um, he was he was uh, just a, a tour de force of an archaeologist. Um, and in his introduction in the 1973 edition to ancient monuments, he mentions in a small, short paragraph That he had viewed Squire's papers at the Library of Congress and found it that was interesting that the drawings, the draft illustrations, had differences than what was actually published.
1: So he's noticing that Squire's drawings aren't the published.
2: And he says, but uh, it's out of the scope of this introduction. We don't have time to cover it. Done. That's it. It's like two cents. Just mentions it. Just mentions it, right? And no follow-up. Nobody ever followed up. Not a single archaeologist has ever gone in there and looked at any of this material. They've never, never published it and never cited it even. Um, there was a biography written about Squire uh, by uh, a guy by the name of Terry Barnhart. Terry Barnhart was an amazing historian who wrote this biography of Squire, plus he wrote many other long articles, did his doctoral dissertation on Squire and Davis, wrote long articles on James McBride and Squire and Davis and but he never accessed the James McBride papers. He even was an employee of the OHC at one point that they had the papers in their collection and he never even accessed them and wrote this long historical doc, you know thing about James McBride. Uh, he wrote and he went to the Library of Congress and reviewed all these letters that are in the Squire Papers collection, and all of the all of the pictures that he shows in his book from ancient monuments are the published versions. He doesn't hmm. even mention that there are any drawings or draft illustrations at all, and and it's like this really comprehensive biography, and it, and he doesn't even access this stuff. It's it's like. Purposefully glazes I was, over. I it. was astonished, absolutely shocked when I uncovered this material. Because all I'm doing is I'm looking for a you know picture of Serpent Mound, you know, like right. some sketch or whatever. And I came across just this unbelievable amount of material. So I set my Serpent Mound book project aside and did this first. Okay. And then I'm going to go back and finish the Serpent Man volumes. Uh The book will be called The Serpent Man Chronicles, and it'll be a book series because I can't fit it all into one volume. So, so. you're just That's like fantastic. getting
0: taken over here uh, through this process. You're yeah. just, you're getting pulled off of the, as you go down right. the line, there's just more and more stuff and it's taking you this way and this yeah, way. Yeah, because
2: you you have to start with the primary source <coughs> stuff. Right. And so you know, now, now I got to reset everybody. I got to, you know, hit the reset button and go back to this original material, Yep. you know, before Squire and Davis. And so in the process, I've, en- I've uncovered probably six or seven new illustrations of Serpent Mound that predate Squire and Davis's ancient monuments in Mississippi Valley, which is credited as the first publication. I found several illustrations of Serpent Mound that predate that, and that'll be in these books. So that's really cool. That's, Incredible. Know, that's it's, so cool it's stuff that, you know, is out there in these archives and that, you know, it's not been digitized, you know, yet. Right. You know, at some point maybe it will be, but, right. um, at so far at this point, it has not. Right. And so that's cool. But think, um,
0: yeah, that, that gives us a good segue. You were telling us a little earlier about the first folks that helped protect the Serpent Mound. So let's kind of paint the picture here of Squire and Davis's book, then, so published in 1848, then who comes along and in between that time is it just the wild west? Like, there's it's just overgrowing, there's nobody,
2: yeah, protecting so there was the a, site. There was, there was a guy that no... owned uh the site, uh, his name was J.J. Lovett, and uh, sometime around it's unclear, uh, but it's likely in 1859, there was a major storm system that rolled through the Midwest in the literature talking about this incident, um, they said that there was a tornado that came across Serpent Mound and took down all the trees. But I went back into the newspaper archives to find out whether or not there was an article written about that. There was no article written about that, but during that period of time, there was this massive storm that ran across the entire Midwest and that spawned tornadoes uh, and basically straight-line winds that did damage in, like, Every Midwestern city from, you know, the western side of Kentucky all the way into Pennsylvania. And so all this damage, you know, was done across, across these places. And so whatever it was, whether it was a tornado specifically or straight line winds, it took down all the trees on the site. Okay. And so um, a group of loggers built a road in uh, that crossed Brush Creek, which is on the west side of Serpent Mound. Uh, and into the area, cleared all the mm. fallen trees out. And once they did that, then they began to farm up there on the plateau where Serpent Mound is. And so they started farming probably around 1860. And so they're farming, farming, farming. <coughs> and then in 1883, an, uh, a person from Harvard University by the name of Frederick Putnam who was the curator of the Peabody Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, he took a trip across the state of Ohio. He actually began his trip in Wisconsin, then came down to Ohio, met up with some people in Ohio, and four guy, five guys, including Putnam, went by you know horse and buggy across southern Ohio. They would go about 17 miles each day, stop at another mound, and then dig it up. And then they would, you know, camp there, and then they would move on to the next place. And it was a bit like a like a camping trip. I found some illustrations from one of the guys who was on the camping trip. A guy by the name of Dr. Charles Metz, who was kind of an avocational archaeologist, okay. began excavating um, outside of Cincinnati in the early 1870s at a place called the Madisonville site and okay. uh, sites in and around there. Um, And he was one of the people on the trip, and he... I found these uh, in his collection of papers. He had done these little sketch cartoons of the camping trip. This guy boozing it up. This guy <laughs> with X's on his eyes. Hammered. Putting him carrying a watermelon. You know this kind of stuff. And so little it was a picnic. bit like a like a frat boy camping trip. <laughs> what yeah. what kind of entertainment was yeah, there? Then to go out us, go out and camp and dig up an Indian mound. And that's what they did. That's wild. So they kind of moved across the state Whoa. and they uh, you know got Having to serpent mound. Good old time. That's wild. They made it to serpent mound and they were farming over part of it that was uh, mostly in corn uh but like from the main body of the serpent up through the head was not uh being farmed over but the tail was and so they had the it was big cornfield so they they had uh, one of putnam's archaeology students uh uh john Cone Kimble, <coughs> <clears throat> took all of the photographs. He had a one of these box cameras on. They took photographs on glass plates. Some of those are cool. Those images. And they are took pretty the trippy. first, uh, you know, photographs of of Serpent Mound, uh, eighteen eighty three. And wow, uh, that was a uh, you know first week of September. They were there and. They were they arrived just a few days after the eruption of Krakatoa in the South Pacific. Wow! One of the largest volcanic eruptions in human history, Mm -hmm. uh, human memory, and that kicked up something like I don't know five cubic miles of sand and ash into the atmosphere. It would killed tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Well, that. Created a whole series of unbelievable sunsets in the sky uh, for about the next year or so. Because of all because the particulates in the air? All the particulates yeah. in the air. And so when Putnam got back to Boston uh, after his trip to Serpent Mound, he wrote this article to the local Boston Herald paper kind of romantically writing about how beautiful it was in southern Ohio because of the amazing sunsets. Had no idea Krakatoa. that it was because of Krakatoa. Yeah. But so that imagery that he wrote about became that sort of, you know, uh indelible seed of imagination, uh iconic imagery yeah. in people's minds about how beautiful Serpent Man was, how amazing so Serpent Man was. This wonderment right. of the site. And so Uh, when he was at Serpent Mound, they cleared all of the corn and vegetation off the tail, and they took a picture of the tail. They cleared all the vegetation off of Serpent Mound because the grass is growing up and stuff, so that people could see it. They got a bunch of locals to come in and clear all this off. And uh, and then the eruption of Krakatoa, you know, the uh, environmental after-effects of that were significant worldwide. The following year was known as the year without a summer. It rained. It was cold. There was crop failures around the world and so on and so forth. And Putnam doesn't come back to Serpent Mound in 1884. Comes back in 1885. And what does he find? Well, Serpent Mound looks like it's like eroding away. It's there's, you know, massive erosion damage all over the serpent. Doesn't doesn't. I, uh, you know, identify that that was because of him because they took, all, took the all the vegetation off of it off, yeah. he he attributes to you know, oh there must be people digging into it or whatever so he writes another letter to the Boston Herald and says you know uh, somebody should do something not him but somebody <laughs> should do something because otherwise this is going to be gone well that somebody turned out to be a woman by the name of Alice Fletcher Okay. Okay, and Alice Fletcher. That right there, that's that's a picture up there of Alice Fletcher. Alice Fletcher was an amazing woman, just an absolutely amazing woman. In the early part of her career, she served as kind of the teacher slash nanny to this wealthy family in New York City. And when the kids came of age, the Wealthy uh, parents said, Well, we don't need you as a teacher anymore, but we've taken a portion of your pay throughout the whole many years that you've done this for our children. I guess he, this guy was some kind of wealthy Wall Street investor, where I invested yeah. a bunch of money for her, and so she became sort of financially independent. Oh, cool. <clears throat> and so.
1: Nice party. She, she, um, she wanted to
2: do something good with her money. She was invited to become part of the very first women's organization ever organized in the United States. It was called cirrhosis, like the root word of sorority. And so this women's organization uh, organizes in the early 1870s, in, after the, just out of, coming out of the Civil War um, in New York City. And she becomes the secretary of the organization. And her role... Was to organize the very first women's congress in the United States, and so they got together all of these women who had been active in the fight to end slavery, mm. the uh, war against, uh, you know, uh, alcohol. Um, they were also the people that were involved. You know, they called that the temperance movement. Okay. Old school
0: liberals. Like, yeah, they, uh, they were also used to the be. women
2: that were active in wanting uh, women's suffrage, right? Yeah, the w- yeah. right to vote, right? Yeah, right yeah. And so early they, they collected movements. these women from across the country, and they came together in a women's congress, and they formed the Association for the Advancement of Women. And, so uh, cool, and she was elected the permanent secretary of the Association for the Advancement of Women. The person who became the president of it was a woman by the name of Mary Livermore. Mary Livermore had an organization in Boston known as the Ladies of Boston. And the Ladies of Boston were very much interested in preserving the origins of the United States. How did the United States come to be in the American Revolution? They looked at places like the old meeting house in Boston where the revolutionaries planned the Revolutionary War and that building was falling into ruin. And they said, we should save this and preserve this as a monument to American history, right? And so they raised the money to purchase the old meeting house. Now, at the time, women aren't allowed to own property, okay? So they convinced their husbands or whatever to purchase that and preserve it on on their behalf, but they were the ones that raised all the money to do that. That's wild. Okay, so she took the letter that Putnam wrote in the paper to her old friend Mary Livermore from, from the Association for the and Women and the Ladies of Boston, read the letter to the Ladies of Boston. Okay? Now, the Ladies of Boston were concerned about what was happening in, an, in American society at the time. So you have to think about what was happening in the, in the early 1880s. You had just had a president assassinated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you were coming off of the Civil War uh you know you're just within about a decade of the end of the civil war uh you had the rise of the Industrial Revolution. Right. There are no worker protection laws, no child labor laws. There's no public education. There, there are waves of immigrants coming to the United States to flee the wars in Europe and the financial devastation from like, the Panic of 1873, yeah. which was a worldwide... It, it was called the Great Depression before the Great Depression. Wow. Now, now historians call it the Long Depression because you know, <laughs> hmm. it lasted for more than 10 years. It was, wow. it was, there were all these major... Societal upheavals that were taking place in the United States, and they said, "Look, looking around the country, like the country's coming apart at the seams, kind of right? like the '60s in a way." Yeah, and <clears throat> they they said, "You know, the old Puritan ideals that stitch this country together aren't <laughs> right, working. Right? We need to find something that when all these people come into the United States, the the idea was, what does it mean to be an American? Who?" Is Who are we? Yeah. Right. And there, when Alice Fletcher took that letter to the ladies of Boston, she said, look, if you really want to know what it means to be an American, you have to go back to the earliest heritage of this country, which is the people that built all of this ancient stuff. Right. Right. People that built places like Serpent Mound. And so the ladies of Boston (coughs) got together, and they raised all the money to purchase Serpent Mound so that they could preserve it as a symbol to teach people what does it mean to be an American. Wow. Wow. And that the park was to be free to the public so that anybody, no matter what their social status was, no matter how much money they had, whatever it was, you could go and you could learn about our shared, collective, deep heritage yeah. of this country. Okay? Again, women aren't allowed to own property. So they turned to the trustees of the Peabody Museum, where Putnam worked. They turned over all of the money. 150% of the purchase price was how much money they raised. The rest of the money went to lay out the park And conduct the archaeological excavations over the next four years, which is what Putnam did. All right, but it was really these ladies of Boston that were the ones that preserved Serpent Mound. That's so wild. Okay, and the only reference to that when you go to Serpent Mound is there's one sentence on this granite monument. Now, the granite monument that's.
0: I'm gonna hand you the clicker, Jeff.
2: Oh, that's okay. Let me take a drink of water here real quick. Yeah, absolutely, because we're getting into it now. So, this granite monument two pictures here the one on the right just keep it up be right back the one on the right is how it looks today the other picture is a postcard from the early 1900s after it was put up and the reason that these two pictures i put up here side by side is to show how this monument has changed a little bit over time yeah But in the middle of that, there is a sentence in there that mentions the ladies of Boston, that Serpent Mound was obtained by subscription by the ladies of Boston. And when I was a volunteer at Serpent Mound in the early 2000s and I read this, I was like, who are these ladies of Boston? Nobody writes about it. There's nothing written about the ladies That's all you see. That's all you see. There's yeah. nothing about them. It doesn't identify them. And what is this about subscription? What does it mean? What do you mean they obtained it by subscription? I don't understand this. Nobody had any answers for me because nobody at the park knew anything about it. They don't have anything in the museum oh, about really? it. There's nothing written about they it. They don't even know about it. Well, they didn't. That's so wild. And so I went on a hunt to find out who these people were, and I uncovered their story. How did that get lost over time? Because, I, I mean, because all that's referenced on there is the story from this granite monument. This granite monument was put up to fulfill a deed requirement when Harvard Peabody Museum transferred the property's ownership from Harvard to the Ohio Archaeological and Historical Society in 1900 they had two deed restrictions on the property. One was they had to put up a monument that told the story of how Serpent Mountain was preserved. And the second one was that the park was to be free to the public forever. Yeah. That's the language in the deed. Yeah, And it's a reversion clause. So if the p- owners of the park don't live up to the deed, then the park reverts its ownership back to, to Harvard okay. University, Peabody okay. Museum. And so... This granite monument exists to fulfill the first part of the deed restriction. So this was put up in the early 1900s, and it says, you know, Serpent Man was saved from destruction by Frederick Ward Putnam of Harvard University's Peabody Museum. Then, like as an aside, uh, obtained by subscription by the ladies of Boston. So from the very get-go the focus has been on the guy yeah this guy sounds he's the guy right. that saved it right sounds about right well he wrote the letter is. he wrote the letter that appealed for it but the, right. but these women are the ones that saved it 100 100 sure 100%, sure right so but at the very bottom of this monument you can look at the last line there and yep. it says as a free public park yep well for many years this granite monument used to sit they placed it on top of the largest burial mound at the park. And for decades, it sat on the top of that burial mound and eventually sunk in a little bit. And, they, and in the 1980s, late 1980s, they decided to move the monument. And they moved it closer to Serpa Mount, where the location is to today. Okay. And when they did that, they sandblasted off that last line.
1: Added a period on the end, and uh, everything. Yeah, instead good. of
2: as, they changed that as into a period yep. and got rid of the free public park part, and then they started charging money to park. So does this void the deed? Well, according to OHC's lawyers, no, because they only charge you to park there. They don't charge you to go and to see the To go server. and
0: see the site itself. Yeah. Okay.
2: So you can walk into the park for free. But with your car, you have to... But if you're driving there, yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a pilgrimage to get to Serpent Mound. Right? I wonder, yeah. I mean, I wonder so if people
0: know that. You got to get through the crater barrier. Generally, most people do not. You know, you
2: should... Well... I, I wrote an article many years ago that appeared in a local traveler, ma- Visitors Bureau magazine. They asked me to write um, an article about who owns Serpent Mound because there was a lot of confusion. Most people believe that it's owned by the state of Ohio. Sure. And that isn't the case. Right. It's owned by this private corporation, which nobody understands that it's owned by a private corporation. Right. They all think it's, owned, it's like some kind of state park. The Ohio Historical Society many years ago came up with this scheme. <clears throat> they called it a state memorial. And they, there's no, nothing about a state memorial. They just came up with that idea. As a, They named it a state memorial. And they named a couple of their other parks state memorials. And so it became this link. That oh, it must be a state park. It says it's a state memorial. It's the Ohio Historical Society State Memorial. It must be owned by the state. And that's totally not the case. Not, they just, yeah, not they at all. Inter- federal
0: express. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. so they the intentionally yeah. confused the public, you know, over time that it was somehow owned by the state. And so people, for the longest time, have thought, oh my gosh, this be no. It's wholly owned by this private corporation. Gotcha. And uh, so that's you know, transferred from Harvard to the private corporation. And there's a whole story around that, but probably shouldn't get into. Um, but nevertheless, this monument exists to tell the story. And it's the only story that they tell. This is the narrative, all right? Saved from destruction by Putnam, ladies of Boston, sideshow, right? But they're the real, they're, they're the real thing, right? That's the real, the real They did the real work. Right.
0: Thank you for listening, all you hitchhikers. That was part one of episode nine, Jeff Wilson, Ancient Apocalypse and Serpent Mound. A lot of this episode was Jeff helping to kind of helping us see the other side of this controversy with Graham Hancock's hit Netflix series, Ancient Apocalypse, which has blown up, been very, very popular, and the contested ban from Ohio History Connection and the site Serpent Mound. Ohio History Connection owns and operates the ancient monument. And it was really fun to chat with Jeff about his experience being featured on the show and his opinions on some of the heat this series has received from academia and mainstream media and mainstream archaeology. And honestly, I can tell you right now that Graham and Jeff will never stop researching these places. They will never stop writing about it. And, uh, you know, like Jeff says, we need a whole multiple disciplines working together to solve these ancient mysteries around the world. And it was really, really cool in this episode to hear Jeff talk about the lost surveys and drawings that were used to make all the illustrations and ancient monuments of the Mississippi Valley by Squire and Davis, which was one of the first big books written through the Smithsonian. And that was in the kind of mid early 1800s. So We'll all be looking out for, excuse me, Jeff's new book, Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley Expanded Edition, where he publishes all these early drawings and surveys. It turns out Squire and Davis only did about 28% of the drawings in the book, but they claimed all of them. So, you know, Jeff's going to kind of highlight some of these guys that didn't get credit where credit was due. I mean, there's some illustrations that date back to the 1700s, which was way before Squire and Davis really started going out and researching and putting this book together. These guys were, you know, really never given credit. So, and then really cool story about uh, the women that saved Serpent Mound. You know, we owe them a huge debt as Ohioans. Without them, who knows where Serpent Mound would be today and that we can all go and visit it and. And uh, you know, have an experience there and, and connect. And, guys, don't forget to track down Jeff on Facebook. If you have any questions, you can reach him on his Facebook group, Friends of the Serpent Mound, where they're a nonprofit organization that has been doing amazing work, not just at Serpent Mound, but other earthwork locations and helping raise money for different projects. Uh, Him and his wife, Delcy and a whole amazing group of people have been dedicating many, many years to earthworks and ancient monuments here in Ohio. Guys, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at The Strange Road. We appreciate all the new subscribers, all the comments, getting a lot of great feedback on some of the live streams we've been doing Stay tuned on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on every major platform now on the podcast side of things. um, If you really like the show, follow us, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. That would help us out so much. And uh, we get that great feedback and kind of figure out what you guys really like to hear from us. So, again, we appreciate you. We appreciate Jeff and can't wait for his two books to be coming out soon. The other book I kind of forgot to mention is a book solely on Serpent Mound and his research over the last few decades. So we'll be looking out for that. And the new year is upon us, new beginnings. It's gonna be a great 2023, we just know it. And you guys all be safe out there. Take care, everybody.